0: Welcome to Transport Walk episode number 89 for Sunday, January 2nd, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney.
1: And I am Captain Sabriel Maston, and we are once again in my ready room for one more episode.
0: That's right. Happy New Year, Captain.
1: Happy New Year. That's.
0: Does that make it start date like 0001 or something?
1: I don't know, but it's been a long road getting from there to here.
0: <laughs> it's been a long time, but yeah. our time is finally here. Yes,
1: so we are here to talk about, but to connect...
0: Yes, that's right. Did you
1: notice I put the ellipses in there.
0: Yes, there is the dramatic pause. So if you want to talk about the episode but to connect, that is what we're gonna be doing today. And as Sabril pointed out to me beforehand, it is one T, not two. Mm-hmm. That's a different episode.
1: <laughs> that's on lower decks.
0: Yes. <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this is season four, episode seven. And let me start by saying this is my third favorite episode of the season. Wow. This is one of my lowest. So of the last 5 episodes, it is my favorite. Uh-huh. My favorite of the f- back fifth. So and we're, it's going to stay that way for a while because I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. There's now a break, a mid-season yes. break. Yes. Yes. So Discovery comes back on the air in February. There's going to be some prodigy
1: in There's absolutely between. no Star Trek between now and then. Just because you don't like Prodigy, even the, pro-
0: the Star Trek's you don't like are real Star Trek.
1: No, I would never claim
0: otherwise. Yes. For real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, so that probably means there's going to be a break in Transporter Lock. Yep. But we are certainly going to make the most out of But to Connect <laughs> in the meantime. So there were, in my opinion, like two main plots here. Not there three, was two. Not three, not four. Uh-huh. There was uh, the United Federation of Planets and Friends deciding what to do about the DMA and Species C-10. 10C. 10C. That's right. I don't know why it's called that. And the second plot is uh, Measure of Azora. Mm-hmm. should try to figure out what to do about that. So, shall we do the uh, Federation Starfleet sure, plot? Sure, sure. Okay.
1: I, well, oh, wait, this is one of my lower episodes of the season so far. And it's... I'm Even on my rewatch, I couldn't exactly place why other than... It just... It felt like a lot of the stuff wasn't earned. Wasn't earned. Yeah. Well, first of all, we did get the classic Star Trek bunch of politicians talking about space politics, which uh, was cool. It is real Star Trek. <laughs> I love it. So now we are at real Star Trek, Not as even... Reddit
0: will, I'm sure, will tell people. <coughs> Although, they would have to mention the Prime Directive somewhere. I don't and think they did. did. They did?
1: Uh-huh. Oh, I missed that yep, part. Yep. Um, Unless I'm confusing, because I started rewatching watching No, no. There was the Prime Directive. Because someone mentioned in the background, because Ten C clearly has capable technology, so they mentioned Prime Directive. They can talk to them. Mm -hmm. It was an offshoot, like off throw off throwaway line. But Mm -hmm. anyway, um, I knowing Star Trek through all these decades, there was no question in my mind what they would vote on or vote for, barring some unknown thing that would happen during the episode. There was no way, like someone. So it was, like, some reason out of the blue why I need to vote for attacking the thing first. Because this is just what Star Trek is. We talk about it, and then we go and talk to others about it. And it's just what Starfleet does, and what about that? And so, for me, it wasn't earned, because books, planet, and the colony of the people from Enterprise are the only ones who seem to actually have actually been affected by the anomaly so far the d the run dma run dmc <laughs> the, uh, direct,
0: the direct memory access
1: yes yes the the DeLorean um dma um it didn't feel earned i just like yep one planet no one else is in actually they say they're in danger but no one we haven't shown anyone to be like oh no it's looming in on such and such planet um we need to act now Are you saying that one planet
0: isn't threat enough? Nope,
1: I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it didn't feel like everyone just keeps talking about this is a huge threat. But like, as we are, as we know, the DMA, except for that one time it moved, is doing absolutely nothing. That is scary. That is not my point. But it didn't feel like this impetus to, we need to attack now, really felt earned
0: But now that they know it can leap thousands of light years, there's Uh nothing to stop it from just disappearing and reappearing in Sector 001, destroying Earth.
1: that's not what I'm saying at all, though. I'm just saying that the show hasn't gone enough to make me feel that the people are actually concerned. I see. Well, they just say they are.
0: In a way, I agree with you, because you'll recall when we reviewed Episode 3, I was like, we spent all of Episode 1 and 2 face-to-face with this massive threat, and then Episode 3, they go hunt down a rogue nun. And I was like, wait, what about the DMA that's over there? And which is a much bigger threat. How are you all not paying attention to this? And so I feel like they spent all this time doing stuff that wasn't DMA related, and now they're like, oh, we just remembered this thing is a huge threat and we should do something about it.
1: And they did mention the things happening off air, like such and such throwing like sixteen hundred quantum torpedoes at it, or someone throwing Latinum just to see if they can get into it. Right. Um but To me, it just made no sense to say we should attack it when we could just try to talk and see what's going on. Mm. It just didn't feel like there was even a choice, really. Now, see, for
0: me, that choice was not obvious because this is the Starfleet of 930 years from now. Mm -hmm. They're still recovering from the burn. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're all a little bit on edge and are more... uh, They have an itchier trigger finger.
1: I would not be surprised. It just doesn't feel that way because I'm not that connected to current or 900 years in the future of Starfleet. mm mm-hmm. Just, like, we have not really explored that enough yet, to me, because, like, I'm so used to the old-timey stuff. Yeah. And so I just assume everything is still the old-timey stuff.
0: Well, I think one way they emphasized that this week was, to my surprise earth has not yet rejoined the federation mm-hmm. i know that we're not going to see a return to status quo immediately i mean that's what we saw in the very first episode with burnham and book going around just delivering dolithium to try to convince people to come back and so i know that that's still work in progress but the fact that earth has not joined really strikes home to me that they still have a lot of work to do
1: mm-hmm. this is like they have 60 member worlds now
0: yeah and what was it before, like, 930 years ago? 300? 200?
1: Um, I don't remember the num- exact number. I keep going to real world, like, how many countries there are on the- <laughs> on Earth.
0: Isn't that, um, like, 179 or something? Something like that, yeah. Well, now now we're recording. Now I sound stupid because <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how many countries there are. And, of course, that changes, too. You know, borders <laughs> get redrawn. Uh, 195 countries. Ooh. So how many uh, planets in Federation... I wonder if this will know I'm talking about Star Trek. Uh, It says 150. Hmm. But I don't know what year that's referring to. The source of this is StarTrek.com. But it doesn't say... No context. It says the UFP was founded in 2161. And it's an alliance of 150 planetary governments spread out over 8,000 light years. That
1: sounds like TNG era.
0: Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So... They're at about, they're, they're coming up on half of what they used to have in TNG era. Mm-hmm. So still a lot but of work still... to do. And, and possibly new plants like the, the butterfly people. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they were ever in. Yeah, we just don't know. Yeah, but it was really cool to see them at the assembly. Uh-huh. And you pointed out that, I think maybe you read this on Twitter, that to get so many different representatives to one place at one time indicates a change in how warp works
1: oh yeah there's clearly some difference because they mentioned that there's emissaries from four quadrants here and so warp as we know it is different for them even because as far as we know they've explored most of the milky way or much of it anyway Mm -hmm. enough for i mean space is really really big (laughs) so maybe not everything but you get the idea
0: I wonder how far away the edge of the Delta Quadrant is, because clearly each quadrant is massive, Mm -hmm. and I don't know which part of the Delta Quadrant the original Voyager was sent to.
1: It was pretty far.
0: Right. According to maps. Right. It would have to be not the edge, Mm -hmm. but maybe they have transwarp conduits or wormholes or... You use the old Borg tech? Right. Well, that would be... Would that be transwarp? The tunnels. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's wibbly wobbly. Timey wimey. Mm. Uh, and, and we'll talk more about propulsion because that came up a bit later in this episode. But so I, I think you may have alluded to this, like, this is what Starfleet does is they talk about things. But how many times have we seen galactic threats and one captain acted decisively?
1: Oh, and we even saw it in Discovery, the very first episode. Right. <laughs> uh huh. Or and, she wasn't captain, but you get the idea.
0: Yeah. Or even in TNG, all good things. Like, Q creates this time bubble that's going to go back in time and destroy all of humanity. Mm -hmm. And Picard didn't, like, go to Starfleet and say, hey, let's convene all the planets and decide what to do about this. So I was a little surprised at how diplomatic Starfleet chose to approach this situation.
1: I feel like there's just so much context missing. Like, I'm not surprised by that. It's just, there's, like, for once, Discovery is not happening all episode, every, like, beginning, when the last one ends. Mm -hmm. There are weeks between episodes now. And I feel like there's been a good chunk of time since the beginning of the season. And I feel like I'm just missing some stuff now. Mm. It's context. And, and what would lead from X to Y to Z. And so like, that doesn't surprise me, like getting everyone here and doing all that. But it just feels like suddenly time is weird for Discovery and it's a weird way to watch it now all of a sudden. And
0: while well, we saw that they were still being reskinned after mm. escaping the subspace rift last week, uh-huh. the Discovery didn't actually go anywhere this week, which was sort of a nice change. Now, I, we've talked about how people were criticizing DS9 when it came out. Oh, they're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Cheers doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> Night Court doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> what are you Those
1: talking are about? They went places on Cheers. They even went to Jeopardy. That's <laughs> true. And Johnny Carson show.
0: Right. Johnny
1: Carson? <laughs>
0: uh, oh, that's right. I do remember that. Uh, Cliff wrote a joke. Yeah. For, the, oh, for the Wasn't it Letterman, though? Not Letterman. No. Uh, Leno? It was Carson. It was Carson? Uh-huh. You're right. You're right. Because Johnny Carson was just about to retire. And he told a joke that stank. And he's like, well, I'm retiring. What do I care? That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm fine with Star Treks that don't go places. And it was nice to see that Discovery was still being repaired. Like, you <laughs> I mean,
1: know, last week's Saru was like, wow, it's, it's amazing how fast they repair things. And it doesn't like they've made any progress at all. Right. <laughs> uh, there were, I mean... That's just nitpicking. That's nothing serious. Yeah.
0: And again, you know, pointing out nitpicking, I want to reinforce the fact that I'm not bothered by star trek approaching things differently or even when there are things that we may perceive to be inconsistencies like i think all the planets convening to talk about the dma made for good storytelling Uh uh-huh like i'm not objecting to it but it i can't help but observe that it is different from how they have done things ultimately what is in service to the story is something i will approve of
1: yeah it's more important that way exactly um Tarka, I have my feelings about him, but what do you feel about the, after this episode? He's on a horizon. Well,
0: yeah, you and I were watching this episode together and you felt that Tarka was manipulating Book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And maybe Tarka is being sincere with his other universe story, but there's still a lot of gaps in that story. I don't understand who his partner is, where they were trying to go, why they need so much power. And somebody on Twitter pointed out That Captain Lorca, Mm -hmm. he needed to traverse from one universe to the other. (laughs) And how did he do it? He used the spore drive. And what did Tarka just invent? A spore drive. So why can't... I mean, I know that whatever Lorca did probably wasn't recorded in Starfleet logs. They Mm -hmm. scrubbed all mention of the mirror universe, that it could be new when Kirk found it 50 years later or whatever. But nonetheless, somebody who is as smart as Tarka... Shouldn't need as much power as the DMA has.
1: Um, yeah. Whether the target story is true or not doesn't matter. He Book believes it, so that's what counts. And um, maybe even so. Clearly, Book knows about the Mirror Universe because he asked about that.
0: Well, he met Georgiou.
1: Um, and he met Georgiou, but doesn't necessarily mean he knows about how discover how discovery got there. Mm-hmm. It, it might. I mean, it's the point where they decided for him to know, but that. Stamets, like, like, tor- Lorca did something weird to break the Spore Drive, so Stamets would accidentally bring him there. And so that might just be technology that Tarka doesn't know about yet. But he has his own Spore Drive, so he could do it hypothetically.
0: And even Stamets said that Tarka is a genius, mm-hmm. uh, ostensibly smarter than Stamets. And Stamets is the one who is largely responsible for the creation of the original Spore mm-hmm. Drive. So. I I don't know where Lorca's going... uh, Lorca? I don't know where Tarka is going with this. And also, I'm disappointed that Book... I understand his motivations, but he seems to trust
1: Tarka more than he trusts Burnham Mm -hmm. in this episode. The whole season has been Book working through his emotions about what happened. And it sounds like he... I just assumed he was making progress, but all of a sudden here he receded? Is that what we're looking for? Went back to... Or his anger before. Yeah. And because, because Tarka was pushing him.
0: Right. I mean, just last week, Book went to Burnham and said, hey, I know things have been tough, but I love you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've been talking on this podcast about how I hope the two of them work things out. And after last week, I was really encouraged that they would. And it just seems very inconsistent. And granted, grief is not linear. I understand that Book is not going to have one good day and then he's cured. Uh Uh-huh. But... I feel like one week I am encouraged for the relationship and the next week I'm discouraged. And that variability is based solely on what Book is doing. Right. Burnham has been quite stable in this relationship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Book has not. Um, I'm disappointed by that.
1: Right. And Tarker was going to go with this plan no matter what. He just had to find um,
0: an accomplice.
1: An accomplice, yes. And
0: this, I mean, Tarka, I don't know exactly what his role is in Starfleet, but he's very clearly trusted and honored to have a role in creating the new Spore Drive. And maybe he was just using Starfleet as a means to an end to get to this other universe with his partner, but he has thrown his entire career away with what he has now done by Mm -hmm. stealing that prototype. Yeah, And Book... I mean, has he thrown away his relationship? Is he going to end up in the brig? He's not Starfleet, but there are nonetheless going to be repercussions for what he has done here. So it's it's very disappointing that the two of them have done this. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, as you said, the DMA is not an imminent threat, lest it disappear and reappear Right, and,
1: until the plot needs it at the moment, right. which is unfortunate.
0: And so there's no reason that they couldn't pursue both options. Uh-huh. Let Burnham pursue a diplomatic solution, and if it doesn't work out, then you can use your right. Kittimer banned weapons.
1: That's what just felt so weird to me about this. It just didn't feel like this is a this or that situation. It can be a this and that.
0: Right. Kind of like when they were doing that really risky experiment during an evacuation. Uh-huh. Like It doesn't have to be this <laughs> at the same time as that. It can be one, then the other. You can do diplomacy and then assault. <laughs> so. Uh, but here's a question though. Burnham... Mm-hmm. Pointed out that, you know, uh, insects eat grains and flour without us prescribing malice to them. If the DMA is not a weapon, Sabriel, what do you think it is? What could it be?
1: I probably pointed this before, some kind of clearing device. Um.
0: So like a, a, a scout almost for an invasion.
1: Invasion, or, or just t- like just like the sphere builders, we're making this space available for us. Whether it is, I don't know, it's just...
0: Yeah, almost like galactic terraforming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, because I've also thought about this, and I don't... Up until this week, I assumed it was a weapon. But now that they want to pursue a diplomatic solution, I feel like there's potential here for it to not be a weapon. And that's more interesting to me. And the only things I can think of are one, have you read Ender's game? hmm So those aliens were a hive mind. They assumed we were too, and that killing one of us was not a fatal thing. It'd be like, you know, losing a cell off your body. Spoiler, sorry. So maybe they just don't understand what life is like in this galaxy. And they don't understand the. It's harm like Jim, doing.
1: but not as we know it. Not as we know it. So, we know yeah, it. exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, the other idea I have is I haven't read Star Trek books, memory beta, but my understanding is that the Borg were an experiment that escaped somebody's lab and that the creators came back eventually. And
1: the KLR came back and... and
0: right. Uh-huh. So, I don't think this is really the Borg. It's not where I'm going. But I think maybe the DMA is an escaped experiment.
1: <laughs> maybe. Uh-huh. Or it's the whale probe. Right. Coming to wait for someone to get the right signal and then it can go away.
0: Or something, yeah. But... It's possible that the harm is not intentional, and it may uh, not even be known. Species uh-huh. C10 may not even be aware of what's
1: happening. 10C, just for, so, to avoid emails and tweeters. But um, I don't think we know who did the planet-eater, planet e- planet-killer planet thing. Oh, the doomsday machine? Uh-huh.
0: I've never actually seen that episode. No,
1: we can fix that today.
0: I think TOS and TAS are the only Star Treks mm-hmm. where I've not seen every single episode.
1: We can fix that today.
0: Although, as you and I discussed offline, there was mm-hmm. one episode of Voyager I missed. But, yeah, toss and tass, I'm I'm behind. <laughs> um, and, but although I did recognize the Doomsday Machine when it was hanging in that bar that the lower decks no, to, it,
1: The papier-mâché thing is hard to miss.
0: Yes. <laughs> so I know what a Doomsday Machine is. I've just never seen the episode. Mm-hmm. And isn't that the one that the episode that has Commodore Decker? Whose son was then in, in the motion picture.
1: I don't know if it's supposed to be a son or not, but okay. it's Commodore, yeah. Yeah. Who I'm not it. we're gonna watch it later. Okay. Um Great. Looking and forward so, to it. So the whole talking thing cool. I'm glad we got to see the Federation doing its thing and talking things out. But it just didn't feel like it mattered. Mm. Um watching the ready room for this oh, afterwards, yeah. it was cool. It looked like they actually only had two floors and they were just filling a bunch of people. And they were talking about how because of COVID restrictions on how many people you could have, and they showed all these characters in there wearing, like, before they were filming, big, huge face masks, even you know, over their prosthetics of alien heads and everything like that, and how they made it seem like there was more people in there. Like, on my second viewing and looking, I'm like, oh, you can definitely see the Lurian, the Morn species, all over the place, in the, as the camera pounds down to show everyone. Um, but, still a neat, cool effect. Um, neat thing. But they use this space. That clearly, I don't think this place is clearly meant to be an auditorium hall, but it's what we got. Mm. And so, I was gonna neat.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I, when this start uh, base was built, the Federation was broken, mm-hmm. and so they probably never expected to have sixty members ever again, or to have them all in one place. Yeah. Uh,
1: what this whole this whole scene did allow, though, was one of the best parts of the episode, and that was to and President Tarina.
0: Yes, they are so (laughs) freaking cute.
1: Um, This week on Ready Room, it was Doug Jones. Oh, And they talked about the season and whatnot, but also talked about that. Um, He said that in season three, the writers had no intention of pairing them off or anything like that. That was not in their mind. But the actors noticed that the characters um, um, had some chemistry and the writers picked up on that. And so they added it for season four. I thought that was kind of neat.
0: There was unintentional chemistry in season three?
1: No. Yeah, just the actors felt the chem- a chemistry between the characters. Huh. And then the writers picked up on that and then made it a thing for season four.
0: That's interesting.
1: Uh-huh. I and mean, I do that with D&D all the time, too. Characters will have feelings or whatever about like that that I never, never intend. Not planned.
0: But I consider D&D to be... I mean, yes, there are scripts you're following, but there's mm-hmm. tons of improv. There is. I can... I just assume Star Trek has very little, if any.
1: There's not a lot of improv there, but doesn't mean that once you're just kind of in, when you're writing it, you may not have, you know, think about it. But when you're just like acting out these lines, like, oh, yeah, I can actually feel something like this, or we kind of act it this way, it feels a certain way, and then you start kind of noticing that about your characters. You know,
0: I should know this, because I used to do a ton of community theater, and I would love going to see shows that I had been in, and Uh seeing other interpretations of the character I had played, and I'd be like, oh, whereas I played it scared, he's playing it suspicious. And so there is still a lot of room, no matter what the script says, for characters to bring their own portrayals. Uh Uh-huh. And so even if there was chemistry not in the script, I can see how it would come out on the screen.
1: That's cool. And so yeah, I love that. Um and they also had a little bit about um well as a segue to our next bit, mm. uh, Rogue AI over the course of Star Trek over the over the decades, including even uh lower decks last season when Jeffrey Combs was I love Jeffrey Combs. um Agmar or whatever the hell yep. thing was. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Shall we talk about AIs? Yeah. So that's the second plot this week where, remind me the name of glasses guy? Um, Dr. Kovic. Kovic, that's right. Mm-hmm. So let me start off by saying he is a man of many talents, which we already knew. A lot
1: of talents. They bring him for, basically you get Vance, Admiral Vance, who is not in this episode, strangely. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, President um, Rillick. Yeah. And then anything else Starfleet needs yeah. is Dr. Kovic. He Kovitch. has like
0: advanced degrees in artificial intelligence. <laughs> Uh, He's great at counseling Culber, who we didn't really see working through his challenges this week, although he was in the episode. Uh, Kovic also runs Starfleet Academy training programs, Mm -hmm. and he has a fascination with the Mirror
1: Universe. (laughs) Next week, he's going to be a chef and uh, a theater buff. I I love that. (laughs)
0: It's like, oh, I want you to try this recipe. I found it in your historical (laughs) logs from a
1: person named Neelix. And a shuttle conductor. That's right.
0: (laughs) Or, you know, how many times in TNG did we see the characters playing musical instruments? Mm-hmm. Maybe he is an actual conductor. Yes. <laughs> so why not?
1: Anyway, Kovic.
0: Kovic. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say about him. But the second plot was all about Zora. And this was a very... In a way, I felt like there was less tension here compared to the TNG episode Measure of a Man. And I think that's because... In Measure of a Man, Data was already a beloved and accepted member of the crew. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, nobody knows who or what Zora is. Like, she had no real human advocate in this episode. There were people who were on her side, but nobody who really knows what's going on. And so even though Data's life was on the line, and so was Zora's with that failsafe, I felt like there was less tension, less risk, less... uh, the, the, the stakes were not as high in this episode. And, uh, that, and that's not a criticism. Uh
1: huh. Um, yeah, when we were watching this, I felt like, why is Stamets doing this? It didn't, like, um. You mentioned that. It didn't feel very Stamets to me to be this advocate for what can go wrong. And that's not to say everything he said was correct. I just didn't feel like Stamets. I don't know if anyone on the Discovery crew fit the role that he played this week. And I mean, sure, he was with control. I was trying to think, like, did he, did anything happen specifically to him in season two related to control? Not, Not that I recall. Yeah, he had, you know, Culber came back and everything like that. And the whole control thing was a big deal, but I didn't remember. And so that's why I kind of started rewatching so I can recall, uh, or maybe something big happened to him. Cause I know, like, control guy, uh, um, head of, uh, um, section 31, section 31 yeah. had nano, bits in him and he was in Engineering Bay or Lab. I don't remember Culber being like, oh! Stamets? Stamets, excuse me. Culber being, "Ah, AI for the rest of my life! I will distrust AI! Even if it makes sense. It just never felt like his driving force for anger. Mm. And so to have him as the advocate against where everything he said was correct, I just didn't feel (laughs) him.
0: And yet, as an engineer, I can sort of see it. I mean, in general, he has been a rather trusting person. Like, when he caught Adira mm-hmm. messing around with his ship last season, he was just like, hey, what you doing? Uh-huh. And he was totally non-accusatory. This episode, he seemed a little bit more defensive, but I think that's because Adira was not working contrary to Samut's mission, and Zora was refusing to give up the coordinates, which mm-hmm. is exactly what you and I were talking about last week. Uh-huh. So, I... That is a, a slippery slope where Zora might say, like, somebody goes to the food replicator and says, give me a burger and fries. And she says, no, because your cholesterol is already too high. I'm going to give you broccoli. <laughs> uh-huh. and I'm like, because that, that is one of the catchy aspects of the Asimov's first rule of robotics. A robot cannot allow a human to come to harm or through inaction allow a human to come to harm. And that through inaction is, is really tricky. Because that's exactly what would happen in that replicator scenario. By Zora not acting, she's allowing a human to poison itself. Mm-hmm. And that can be used to justify all sorts of overarching actions. And so I can understand Samus' control. If he has read any Asimov, he <laughs> should be scared of uh-huh, Zora.
1: Uh-huh. And so, yeah, it just... The whole connection of like, it makes sense for everything he said. It just didn't feel Stamets. Mm. Um, also felt weird that Kovic was not like, why are these two kids barging in on this meeting and no one's kicking them out? <laughs> yeah, every
0: everybody just not just the fact that it was a meeting, but the fact that it's the captain's ready room. Like anybody who wants has access to this space. <laughs> what is this? It's not a rec room?
1: Um, unless Kovic or excuse me, unless Kovic meant it all along. He's just like, mm, I'm gonna see what this. He did say it's an evaluation of the crew itself as well.
0: I loved his conclusion that he would have recommended Stamets to be transferred to another ship mm-hmm. <laughs> because you think that the whole, uh, you, you think that Zora is the one under the microscope and it's actually everybody else as well. Uh-huh. That was really cool. I like that. A I, that's okay.
1: That's something I didn't really catch until like the last scene. like, oh, wait, I think I know what's going on here. And then like. Two seconds later, mm-hmm. but I didn't catch that for the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I didn't realize it at first either, <laughs> because Kovitch had even said, "Like, what would you say if I recommended extraction?" Mm-hmm. And I suspected he was saying that just to test them, and that he wasn't actually leaning that way, but I couldn't tell. However, I when he first said that he was one of the options was not destroying the AI, but moving her to a different body. Yeah, that's what I thought it might go. I thought, that's a great idea, and I bet Zora would love that. She'd have arms and legs and eyes, and she'd be able to walk around and interact with people. And she actually said, no, I would hate that. This is my body. Discovery mm-hmm. is my body. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I guess that was rather anthrocentric of me, to assume people want to look like us.
1: Mm-hmm. All they said was in that form. Yeah. So,
0: Well, there was a great A Strange New Worlds novel where Data went off and created his own little android colony. And when uh, Picard and his crew went to visit him, like, years later, none of the androids were bipedal. And Data was like, yeah, I thought, why should I be constrained by human form when we're not human? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a great point. And so Zora gets to have all of Discovery. And she gave herself her own... For lack of a better term,
1: directive. Yeah, prime mm-hmm. directive. I thought that was really interesting. I love that scene because I wasn't sure, like, because <laughs> um, she says like my my mission is to or whatever. My core programming is to protect the crew of the Discovery, and everyone's like Zora. Who gave you that order? And ever the camera turns to everyone looking at Zora's screen, and I was like, Oh god, what is she gonna say? And she, Me.
0: <laughs> Did you have any other suspicions?
1: Um, I had no idea who it could be. I was like, what is she going to say? Like, to me it made the most sense that she said herself, but it, that was the moment if they were going to throw some weird-ass wrench yeah. into it, that would be it. I wouldn't have
0: been surprised if it had been a signal from the future. Like, oh, I received a message from Zora of the year 4000, saying that it is mm-hmm. of the utmost importance well, that you all are
1: alive. You did touch on something she did say. Everyone's like, why did this happen? And she said, her connection with all the technology of the future, when they, after after the time jump, yeah, that was one of the first things she said. So like that is still a little weird. Something that is a potential place to to take this if they take it anywhere. What do you mean? Um, what about technology of the future made it so she become sentient randomly?
0: I think it's similar to the Voyager episode. I think it was called One,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where Borg nanites interacted with. The doctor's hollow emitter mm-hmm. and create a whole new class of drone. Right. You know, so all the sphere data was from a certain year, like 2250 or whatever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it has access to technology from 900 years in the uh-huh. future, which is new to it. And I think there was just, I don't think there was a specific thing. It's just when Discovery got upgraded that there were some unexpected interactions.
1: Yeah. And that's what they alluded to, but there's that spot if they want to use it. Because she's been around for 10,000 years. 900 is nothing. <sighs> or whatever. And so if they want to explore it, they've, they've put a little spot in there. Interesting. Um, but they could. And maybe I... it's related to 10C. I don't think, I mean, everything tends to connect, interconnect somehow. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is, but I don't know if it will be.
0: Yeah, I did find it interesting that she gave herself her own core programming, because does that mean she can change it? At a whim? Like, what if she decides, oh, you know what's really important to me now, more so than the crew safety, is waffles. I'm going to make waffles now. Is that all right Mm -hmm. with everybody? Like, what's to stop her? She did it once. Yeah. Because her core program was self-preservation at the end of season two. Like, she refused to be self-destructed. I
1: don't know if that was core programming. It was just a quirk.
0: Well, the reason they jumped into the future was because they couldn't destroy Discovery. Mm Mm-hmm. If they could have destroyed Discovery, they all would have stayed in the past and everything would have been fine. And so if she was really concerned about the crew... Not that she was sentient at that point in her life... But she could have exposed the crew to a lot less risk if she had just stayed in the past. I mean, technically, you could argue that the burn is Zora's fault. Because I've said before, it's the Kelpians' fault. And the Kelpians only gain spacefaring technology... Because Burnham evolved them, which she did using the uh, Red Angel suit, so that she could travel to the future by first changing the past. And all that was happening so that they could bring the sphere data to the future because they couldn't destroy Discovery. So if Zora had just allowed herself to be destroyed, no time travel shenanigans would have had to happen. And the Kelpings never would have evolved to space travel, and um. they would have never caused the burn.
1: I don't know that they would have eventually fought against the Ba'ul, because the Ba'ul were space traveling already; they were part of the planet too. Yeah, but if, if but I can see what you're going for,
0: yeah, if they had evolved space travel technology a hundred years later, uh-huh. then Sokol would not have been in the situation he was in. Hypothetically, because he would have already been dead like a hundred years. Or <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, of course, it's all hypothetical because it's not scripted. But it's not real, Ken. <laughs> I get, Inside joke. I get, I get where you're going with that. <laughs> We are spending an hour every week on a podcast talking about a fictional universe that does not exist and is not real. we are
1: you talking about? This is a history of our future. It's true. Although we've already diverged, haven't we? I mean, some timeline variation has happened already. What if we are the mirror universe? Ugh. I've already thought about that, too. <laughs> but anyway. Um, oh, uh, and, yeah.
0: And Zora can dream. Zora can dream. Which mm-hmm. Data could, too.
1: I was waiting for an electric sheep picture to show up. <laughs> <laughs> it did not. But they did kind of... They were skirting that. Hmm. Do all AIs dream? And Kovach's like, nope.
0: Only only Noon... S- S- Sunian Noon-type androids. And the
1: Doctor. Oh, did he... Oh! The Doctor could dream for a little bit. He had dream right.
0: subroutines. I, I don't know why, but like four times in the last two months, I have gone back and watched the scene where he's singing opera while Tuvok goes <laughs> into <laughs> Ponfar. <laughs>
1: Harris, please
0: find a way. <laughs> yes, I love that scene. I don't, that It's a great one. I don't know why it's come back to me after all these years, but I just love it. Uh, so can Zora sing is the real question.
1: So Grey is going back to...
0: And she can, because we saw it last week. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sorry, go on. Grey
1: is going back to Trill. Adira is going with for a week.
0: I wonder if that means they won't be in the next episode.
1: Uh, I guess we'll find out in a few weeks.
0: Because I accidentally started to watch the trailer for the next week, or the next episode... And I hear Burnham saying, Tarka and Book must be stopped. That's the only part of the trailer I heard. So I assume that, of course, Discovery being the only oh, other ship right. with a spore drive mm-hmm. has to be the one to follow them.
1: Yeah. And then where are they going to go? They can well, go anywhere. But I mean, we know they're going to eventually going to go to the anomaly. Right. But when are they going to go?
0: There's like this little eye of the storm around the thing, mm-hmm. which I guess they didn't know in the second episode because they sent Book's ship in on that tether when they could have just board drove into the center right then right they must not have but yeah so discovery is going to be fixed in time to magically race after them and adira and gray might not be there and neither will tilly
1: yeah well i bet you that tilly will be there next week because they are already at the starbase
0: or hq do you think that they will recruit her for this no idea
1: it makes sense if adira's not there someone needs to man that station that's true. They have a crew on Discovery that they can fill with any ins and no name. But it makes sense for Tilly to come on for a week.
0: But they could just as easily cancel Adira's yep. leave.
1: Yeah, it's just too much. There's too many variables. Well, it's kind of like how in
0: every TNG movie they had to find a way to get Worf back. Uh-huh. <laughs> My favorite was when they did it in First Contact, because that seemed the most organic. But the rest were like, really? Mm. Anyway.
1: Um... You know, my notes on this were really low, because this episode was okay for me. Okay, sure. I mean, um, I'm glad the cat's okay.
0: (laughs) You know, actually, that's something I meant to bring up in the second episode, when Book was on that tether, in the DMA, Mm -hmm. and he seemed to be contemplating not trying to escape the DMA, and just letting life end there. Uh And... Stamets was there by hologram, so he was never at risk. But Grudge, Grudge mm-hmm. was on the ship. And if Book had allowed his ship to be destroyed, that would mean the end of Grudge. And I didn't think he would be that selfish. And this week he wasn't. That are all low points. Who knows what we'll do. Fair. I'm glad that he accounted for Grudge this week. Mm-hmm. But that also means Book thinks this may not be a mission he comes back from.
1: Exactly. Um... Grudge is the baseball without the, um. what's the word? Uh, stuff behind it. It's not the same stuff, but like the baseball. Yeah, yeah. The hero is like, I might not be back. Where there it was, I will be back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Cisco left it behind because he knew he'd come back. Mm-hmm. And at the end of season six, after Zio was killed, he took it with him.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: they didn't think he was coming back. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That's powerful. But the most important thing is that Grudge is okay.
1: Yes. <laughs> D-M-A-S-H-M-A. Grudge it is. I mean, she has her own book
0: now. The Book of Grudge is out. That's right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I don't have any other notes on this week
1: myself. No, uh, uh, I thought there would be more action. Because it's a mid. I knew it was the mid-season episode. But, nope, it was just a cliffhanger.
0: This was the best non-action episode mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this season for me.
1: Oh, uh, we did get confirmation that for sure, that President Rillick is part human as well.
0: Yeah. It was
1: speculated. I assumed, but it was actually brought up today. Yes. There was a Cardassian at the meeting. On um, my second viewing I watched, there was a Cardassian there. Oh, well, I missed that. Uh-huh.
0: Interesting. What do you think about how Ferengis look this season? you hate it? They're so wrinkly. Maybe this is just a very old one. They all look like the Grand Nagus. <laughs> it's weird.
1: There's a lot of the make- new makeups. I understand. HD television. Got to change things up. Technology has changed in 20 years since these costumes were made, but I don't like a lot of the changes. The you... the Orions, the plasticky, the Klingons, I hate the look. Especially jumping back into season two. Uh which is better than the season one Klingons. Um And Dorians look weird to me. Um
0: Butterfly people look awesome.
1: They look great. The makeup on the new people are great. But And some- the earrings. Yeah, that, that uh, see my tweet about that, but <laughs> but just the, the Ferengi. I don't like the change. I don't yeah. don't like it.
0: Now we're calling this a mid season break, but this season has only eleven episodes compared to last season's thirteen. So we're seven episodes in out of eleven. So there's only four left.
1: Okay, seventy percent break, whatever. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> it's a mid season break.
0: Yeah, but I suspect that the next four episodes are going to be a whirlwind. Where there won't be these weeks of breaks in the show time between them. At least the
1: last three. One probably is set up, and then three of go, go, go. Yes. Or something like that. Maybe not in that order, though.
0: Yeah, I think roughly each episode is now going to pick up right where the last one left off. Because clearly that's what's happening with the episode we just saw. Mm -hmm. It ends on a cliffhanger. It's not going to pick up weeks later. Except in our timeline. But, yeah. So, that's all I got.
1: Um... Ready Room was interesting this week. They just talked about filming the Federation scene. Doug Jones talking about um, Saru over the whole series, and the little, little relationship nod at the end there. But it's um, cute. Yeah, that's all I got. Really, I don't have much to say about But to Connect.
0: Well, you say that, but we've been talking for forty-three minutes or this so. Is their shortest episode right? <laughs> ever? Usually, it's over an hour. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I liked it. Um, I, I can appreciate why somebody wouldn't, but I think it still sets up for an interesting conclusion. There's a lot we still have to
1: learn about species 10C. Mm-hmm. Uh I... Oh, I had one more note to forgot. Oh, let's hear it. They don't do Captain's Log much anymore. Oh. They do it once in a while. Yeah. What they do is have the characters give an exposition scene that seems so forced. And that happened at the beginning of this one with Stamets and Adira, um, talking in the engineering lab, um... Just giving the exposition that a captain's log would cover. And it just feels so weird. And they do that throughout the entire run of Discovery. I'm going to talk to you about what it, what is happening this week or what happened since last week. I just started reading this novel called The Tiger's Daughter. And the
0: main character, it opens with her receiving a letter from a friend of hers. And the letter is saying, Sorry, I haven't written in so long. Uh, since it has been so long, I thought it would be useful for me to recap how we <laughs> met.
1: It's so silly.
0: <laughs> and so so she's reading a letter about how she met her friend. And that's like the first several chapters. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's that's what's been going on here in Discovery, <laughs> And I would, I, would, I, would, I would rather have the captain's logs back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. By the way, uh, I don't know if it's appropriate for me to say this on the show, but I love that you are wearing the TNG outfit today.
1: Yeah, I'm wearing my captain's dress.
0: I like it. <laughs> Have we seen a captain's dress in the show? No. Okay. We should.
1: Mm-hmm. But do you remember how... We've seen dress uniforms.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. That's different. But season one of TNG, the... Dance. Uh, the scants. Well, well, what the people would wear, the people who weren't Starfleet, like when they were evacuating everybody into the saucer section and there was this scene of like just B-roll of people running and they're wearing the weirdest outfits.
1: Then... Star Trek has done so much to make terrible vacation wear and casual wear. Like, Enterprise, I love that the most because you'd see them wearing Hawaiian shirts or just normal street clothes, and it was cool.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then, of course, in the future, they had to make, like, weird-ass sweaters and clothing and poorly there. Poor
0: Riker. Poor Deanna. (laughs) But, But we are comfortably dressed for this audio podcast Mm -hmm. And we will continue recording this podcast, say, a month from now. Roughly.
1: Yeah. Until next time. Punch it. Hit it. Go.
0: Whatever. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. And keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock. Or subscribing
1: to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com.